Hello, friends. It's Friday, March 13th, 2020. It's 2.30 p.m. and I'm sitting here uh, in my house um, in the western suburbs of Chicago. And I suspect that there are many of you who are listening to this who are in a similar situation where you're sitting at home avoiding going out in public, avoiding going out um, and being infected by other people. Uh, Maybe you're like me. Um, You're counting the minutes until your um, two daughters come back from their last day of school um, because you just got an email saying that um, today was the last day of school for the foreseeable future, or maybe they're already at home because the school canceled, or maybe you yourself unilaterally decided that you wanted to keep them home. And if you're like me, you're scared, and you're confused, and you're anxious. And so for me, the therapy is to say that, to say that I'm scared, Um, that I'm anxious, but I'm also resolute, at least doing my best to be that. And I found myself today waking up and saying, I have to step away, but I can't step away, but I have to step away, but I can't step away from this chatter and this noise and this fear. And so for me, I just grabbed a microphone and I started recording. I actually this week was supposed to be giving a chutbah um, at Iman here on the southwest side of Chicago, but I chose early in the week to communicate to them that I thought it was in everybody's best interest to cancel, and so I didn't do it. But what I had prepared is I was going to talk about the notion of the seen and the unseen. And in these trying times, when I say seen and the unseen, I think especially um, those who are Muslim will hear that. And maybe you'll understand what I mean when I say the seen and the unseen. You know, we have a a, a, a famous story um, in our tradition uh, that has to do with the Prophet Muhammad. Um, and he, like many of the prophets, um, when he first came with his message to his people, was actually very violently rejected and was actually um, sent out. And he actually migrated and left his hometown of Mecca and went to Medina. It's called the Hijra. And, um, you know, it's a prophet who, uh, you know, as Muslims would believe, is, you know, hearing directly the word of God. Um, He is inspired. He is receiving revelation. Um, This is a person who is very close to God. And, of course, the notion of being close to God usually implies, like, what do you got to worry about? I'm kind of like, I got God here standing behind me. 
Um, what do I have to worry about? Um, and of course, when it came time for the prophet himself to flee from Medina, this notion of the seen and the unseen preparing for this, preparing in the seen world, in what's in front of you, in the material world, um, but yet always having faith in the unseen world, realizing that the unseen world exists, that it di has direct influence on events, in fact, has the influence on events. Yet, in his hijrah, and this is where the seen and the unseen comes, and it's the classic case, and I think most uh, Muslims who've studied the sirah would, uh, would be familiar with this story, that while he was the prophet and, and he had the promise of God next to him or in front of him or with him, he made all of the necessary preparations to make sure that his passage from Mecca to Medina was safe. So it wasn't that he just prayed and he just said, I'm just going to leave this matter to he who all matters should be left to. But rather, it was very planned, very strategic. And so he picked his companion, Abu Bakr, his best friend, to be his companion. He only informed Abu Bakr at the very end that he was to be his companion. And in doing so, Abu Bakr laid out a plan for him and the Prophet. Everything from preparing the two camels for the journey. It's, it's reported for three months, providing food and water for those camels. Um, planning the route, deciding that they would actually take an alternate route, actually go south rather than going north, which was the direct route, to go south, and then that they were going to go to a specific cave and they were going to hide away in that cave for three days. Or that they would ask the help of an actual a non-Muslim from a distant tribe um, to lead the journey to the route. And that that person, it said, was who they picked was not random. It was someone who was known to be a very honest and loyal person. That Abu Bakr left his son, Abdullah, in Medina to listen to the news, to be the ears on the ground, an intelligence apparatus. <laughs> and then, of course, Abu Bakr also had one of his servants um, follow them and remove all the traces in the desert of their camels. So that's the scene world and the preparation for the scene world. And then, of course, this all culminates with them hiding away in the cave for three days, only for their pursuers to have gotten close. And in fact, the climactic event occurs in which his pursuers are at the door of the cave. And here is where the unseen occurs. Because it's at that point that Abu Bakr whispers to the Prophet and he says, all they have to do is look down at their feet and they'll see us. And then it's at that point that the Prophet says his famous words, which are affirmed in the Quran, that, oh Abu Bakr, what would you say for two who their third companion was God? trust in God. We have nothing to worry about. 
So that's the balance of the seen and the unseen. So I want to go back to my fear. I, I, I acknowledge that a lot of my fear has to do with this virus being unseen. It's, I mean, there are ayats of it. <laughs> there are signs of it, right? Because I'm watching the news. I am hearing stories. I'm talking to physician friends. Um, so it's clear that it's there, but it's unseen. And now that's terrifying. And the thing about it, um, and this is really the point of reflection for me, is I want to talk about another story. And that's the story of Joseph in Egypt. Um, because that situation, there was an unseen force that was threatening society. In the Quran, it describes the king, the pharaoh, who had a dream. And in that dream, he said, I see seven fat cows, which seven lean ones devour, and seven green ears of grain, and others that are withered. So he has a dream. This is the unseen. I mean seen, but in an unseen way, in a meta, uh, uh, another dimension of seeing. So let's call that unseen. And so the king calls his court to ask them to give an interpretation. And to fast forward, they don't have anything, but one who's in the court knows and had had an experience with this Joseph who seemed to be an interpreter of dreams, who was actually in jail at that time. And so the king says, bring him to me. And so he brings Yusuf to him and he says, tell me the truth of this. And so his response is, Joseph, is you will sow seed for seven years as usual. Leave what you reap in the ear, except a litter, little from which you will eat. Then after that will come seven hard years, which will consume the provisions you made for them, except a little of what you preserved. Then after that will come a year when the people will have plenty of rain during which they will be producing. Now here's what's crazy. The dream, unseen world. The interpretation of the dream, unseen world. So the king is essentially basing a very critical decision, an executive decision that he has to make on the unseen. And frankly, it's coming from while a trustworthy person with a reputation of trustworthiness is still, this guy's coming out of jail. And this guy who's coming out of jail is telling you that at the peak of your powers, so here's the thing of this story, Egypt at that time, superpower. So you are the king of a superpower in an age of prosperity. So the economy is booming. And somebody is telling you that seven years from now, something is going to happen. It's unseen, but it will happen. And so what you must do, if you want to prepare for it, is seven years in advance, you need to start saving what is harvested.
you know, I work in Wall Street, um, and there's an expression, losing trade, <laughs> right? A losing trade where you are just directionally in the wrong place. The market is going up and you're thinking it's going down. And to hold a losing trade because you have conviction <laughs> in your view, i.e. the unseen, is really, really hard. And it's really, really scary because you take this decision and you hold it and you're losing and you're losing and people will criticize you and you're losing and you're starting to doubt yourself and you start to fear and you start to panic. Can you hold on with that conviction? And so that's the unseen, belief in the unseen. And we are dealing with the unseen now. And I pray that it remain for all of us unseen, that we're not directly seeing this. I salute those on the front line. If you're a doctor on the front line, a physician, a nurse who is on the front lines and seeing this, I salute you. For me, I pray that none of us see the virus. But what I'm doing to help with it is help myself and my fear is I'm focusing on the scene. And I'm also holding my conviction on what I believe about the unseen. That the best thing for me to do is social distancing for me and my family. And that that's the best that we can do both for ourselves as individual as for those who we love, who are close to us, who might be vulnerable, and also for those who are um, in the general community around us. So did I go to the grocery store today to stock up? I did. And I acknowledge my privilege in having the resources to be able to do that. My privilege and the blessing that I have that I can work from home, that I work in an industry and a company in which my bread at this moment is not dependent on me showing up to work. And that's a blessing, and I have to acknowledge it. I have to acknowledge that others are not in the same situation. Um, but also, I need to acknowledge the unseen forces. And I'm not just talking about the, the, the virus now, but I'm talking about, and I'm going back, that story of the Prophet and Abu Bakr in the cave, that they were... The conviction that they had that the unseen world is as is the truth and that it does directly impact us. And so there I say, and the prayer that I say is just, Yehafil, the protector. I ask for protection. Um, and 
to be preserved and to preserve and that we find comfort in these trying times. Brothers and sisters, be safe, be smart. Your eyes are open to the scene and have solace and have connection in the unseen.